Thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. If you have not, be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight, where we have some amazing merch and plenty of other things for you guys. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash finish the fight and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash finish the fight. This is Spartan 117. Anyone hear me? Over. Isolate that signal. Master Chief, you mind telling me what you're doing on that ship? Sir, finishing this fight. All right, welcome back, everyone, to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. I am your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And before we get started today, I know we had recently done the Master Chief Collection is coming to PC. And, you know, we said if we get any more updates from now until then, we would present them on the show. So one of the first things I think everyone knows by now is the the reach flight testing has been pushed back. And as of right now, 343 is not giving any estimated date in the future. You know, they kind of realize, ah, that was a mistake. Everyone was basically expecting it to be out by April, but it's not. And the second thing is that, and I know Alex talked about being excited about this, is that there's going to be cross-progression on both platforms, PC and Xbox. Yeah, it's going to be really cool to be able to kind of keep your levels, your achievements, armor. Uh, I mean, that's what I'm assuming all that's going to be with the Mm -hmm. cross-progression. Uh, but we're not going to have cross-play just yet, so you're still going to be stuck on either your Xbox or your PC. They're they're wanting it, though, right? They're, they're looking into it. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a want that they're looking for, but as of right now, uh, that's probably going to be something that comes later once the development cycle is finished. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to the topic of today, which is Halo The Fall of Reach, the, the very first book in a long line of lore and tellings within the Halo universe. Now, before we go any further, I want to clarify that this is the we're, we're covering the book today. Mm-hmm. We're not touching on the game, the comic, the film adaptation that they made. None of that. I know that recently we put a questionnaire up on on Instagram and a lot of people were really curious about well how does this compare to the game and you know where where was everyone else during this and 
we're not going to really touch on that maybe around the end just a little bit but for the most part this is focusing solely on the book itself you know how it was written kind of a walkthrough of it and then kind of the general reaction and reception of it Mm -hmm. so let's get into the the book itself halo the fall of reach is a halo novel written by eric nyland published on october 30th 2001 by Del Rey Books. This is the first novel to be published, and it serves as a prequel to Halo Combat Evolved. The novel was reportedly finished within seven weeks, and eventually becoming a publisher's weekly bestseller with nearly 200,000 copies sold in the United States and the United Kingdom. Now let's move on to Eric Nyland, the guy who wrote this. Eric Nyland is an American science fiction writer based out of North Bend, Washington. He has a Bachelor's of Science in Chemistry and a Master's of Science in Chemical Physics. His wife, Sign Mitchell, is also a science fiction writer, which I, I assume that really helps when they're, they're either one of them are working on a story and they can just basically bounce it off of each other. Yeah, you've it's got kind of, the, the power couple of science right yeah, here. Yeah, or even just, you know, just that collaborative mindset. Like, who knows how much of this she might have helped out with. Sure. Eric was hired in the 90s by Microsoft to edit and correct portions of Microsoft's multimedia encyclopedia. One thing that Nyland was tasked with to do later was to write a Halo story bible, which is a book that has all information on the characters and events in the Halo universe. So basically uh, an encyclopedia. Yeah, try try and say multimedia encyclopedia 10 times fast with that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty cool that he was originally brought on to kind of storyboard and have basically this whole chart of everything within mm-hmm. the Halo universe as they were kind of figuring out yeah. what is going to be their brand book per se. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was almost like a style guide. Mm-hmm. And granted, 343 and even Bungie has released multiple kind of encyclopedias now along those lines. But back in the day, you know, this was... This was the key. You know, if you were going to reference something, this was it. So when Eric first heard about the development of Halo Combat Evolved, he thought that there should be a novel written to act as background to the game because he's already been working on that Halo story Bible. Mm -hmm. So he's like, okay, it'd be really cool to have a novelization along with the visualization. Yeah. Uh, So it's really cool that he tried to do that. But unfortunately, due to legal issues, the book was postponed, Mm -hmm. which... We really couldn't find anything out with it. No, we 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 did some research, but it was nothing like set in stone, like, oh, because of copyright or anything yeah. like that. I think it's just one of those, like, hush-hush, probably internal things where mm-hmm. it's like, that's why. Or they could have just said, it's legal issues, leave it alone. Exactly. <laughs> and then although Nyland was upset about this, because he was able to see the game develop almost to completion before he even started writing the book. Mm-hmm. So he knew a lot of, like, what was going on, and he knew how to write a story based yeah. on everything that happened afterwards. Yeah, and, and, and like hanging around Bungie and these guys, like it seems like you've already seen the development, you've mm-hmm. written the Bible for it, so why not put that together? Yeah, so the the idea was given and it was confirmed like Nyland was going to be able to write a book and he was given a seven-week deadline, which I didn't know at the time. I thought that was very short, but I looked it up and that's actually roughly to par. I think it's seven to ten weeks is like the average a book is written, which I didn't know that. That seems like really short. It does. When, you, when you're thinking about when you had to write stuff for school. Mm-hmm. And you're like, man, dude, 1,500 words. It took me about a week. It, to- it took me a few days to do a 1,000-word essay with a lot of sources. I just didn't want to do it. Oh, yeah. But you got to think it's a, it's a full-time, at least a 40 hours a week. So that's probably not. Plus, it's it's what they like to do. Yeah, and they're good at it. I mean, when once you have a talent and you can write several pages a day or, you know, mm-hmm. figure out your material and have fun with it, mm-hmm. I mean, that changes everything. Well, S- Stephen King does 10 pages a day for three months, I think I read, mm-hmm. somewhere. So... 
this book was actually almost canceled because Bungie didn't like the idea of Master Chief having a backstory. Like, this wasn't their idea. This book was not their idea. Him having a backstory wasn't their idea. Like, none of it. But eventually, Bungie and Microsoft kind of came to an agreement because at the time, they only had 20% of their script done. So some members of Microsoft helped finish the script, and in exchange... Eric Nyland would be able to write the book. And this kind of goes back to our earlier podcast where we talked about the Bungie crew really being, I wouldn't say secretive, but being very protective of their mm-hmm. game. Yeah, it's it's their baby. Exactly. So whenever they merged with Microsoft originally, they were like, we want no Microsoft employees working on this. Mm-hmm. We're going to have our own section of the office and we need it to look like this. And this is what we're doing. Yeah. So having, you know, Eric was a quote outsider. Exactly. So when you, even though he's, you know, like we talked about before, helped with the Halo Bible and has been a part basically seeing how the game was coming to completion, but mm-hmm. was still an outsider of that. Yeah, even though he he knew the background of this game and the lore of the franchise at the time. Mm-hmm. So, again, after seven weeks, Eric finished the book and then it went out into production. And, you know, really, I'm, I'm glad that this happened because a huge part of why Halo is so popular is because of the novels. There's, it, it, granted... Writing a novel is infinitely easier than developing a game. There's still, what, like almost 30 novels out now. There's even seven or eight comic book series. So this has really helped to drive the franchise because the lore backs it up. And that's where a lot of people go to learn infinitely more about characters and places and events within the universe that they like. And I'm going to save us on this. That's Jesse's opinion. Books are incredibly hard to write. I meant not write. I meant pr- <laughs> produce. It, sure. Oh, that, okay. I, I'll, I'll, I, I, I phrased that wrong. It takes one or two people to write a book. It takes, you know, at this point, I it think, takes a team. I mean, it yeah, takes a team for it. I, for for like a game, it takes thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, we even read recently. Was it five hundred million dollars is going into? Uh, Halo Infinite, mm-hmm. $500 million isn't going to any book that I know of. All right. For those those listeners that are still with us that uh, haven't <laughs> just left us in a huff because of Jesse, <laughs> uh, we're going to go ahead and kind of give just a, a quick but detailed summary of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the point of this is so you know a lot of key things that happen. We're going to bring up some details here and there, but overall, we do recommend you read this book. We're not trying to to say this is a source so you have to skip the book. That's that's not our intention. We really like this book and all the books that they've written, so we want to talk about it. But again, read the book because there's a million details that we won't cover that are really icing on the cake to this book. Yeah, and we, we just want to give you guys context. So if for some reason you have never read the book, mm-hmm. uh, just, just to kind of go along with us and really see how th- this book did do a lot of lore building mm-hmm. and it- did like really create what happened before CE. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because CE, you're thrown into this universe in the middle of a war, and you're just kind of like, I. there's so much they talk about, even like at the beginning of CE with the Cole Protocol and all these things. You're like, what is this stuff? Like, wh- mm-hmm. what does any of this mean? And you start finding out, you know, who the hell is Master Chief? You learn all that here in this book. It establishes the lore. The book itself starts out in Jericho 7, February 12th, 2335. And we first see the Spartans. Uh, we see them interacting together. They're they're getting ready to engage with a covenant on a, a ground assault, which is it starts out pretty good already. Like it starts out in, a, in the midst of a battle. Yeah, it's it's one of those great prologues that's kind of a future premonition one mm-hmm. that's already diving you halfway through the book and giving you a battle that they don't take into account within the book itself, but just gives mm-hmm. you this cool 
raw, mm-hmm. awesome battle and shows you that there wasn't just 117. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it shows you how they work together, how at one point they're taking out thousands of grunts, mm-hmm. which I, a small... Like a small squad of Marines couldn't do, but a handful of Spartans can do pretty easily. Mm -hmm. So during the battle, they learn that uh, there's also a battle going on in space between the Covenant and the UNSC. And they have to fall back because they're losing the battle. So we kind of learn that with ground battles, Spartans always win. But when it comes to space battles, you know, Spartans have no part of that. And that's where the UNSC really is really lacking. And so they almost always lose. So thus they they have to pull back and they have to leave Jericho 7. But something I really like is that Master Chief, you know, says, can I can I watch this glassing? Because we learn that that's what the Covenant are getting ready to do. Once they take over a planet, they glass it. The He's told, yes, but if they see us at all, we have to leave. So for an hour, he stands there motionless and just watches the planet get glassed and destroyed. It, it's a it, it's a really sobering end to that prologue. As we're seeing it, as Nylon mm-hmm. is describing it, that there's just hundreds and thousands of grunts and they're just all in this formation but these spartans are taking them out with rockets and grenades and small arms fire and Mm -hmm. it's it seems like they're doing great but you realize that it meant nothing yeah it meant absolutely nothing the the spartans were a small group an endless amount of a covenant armada and army Mm -hmm. that are basically set up to destroy humanity once we get past the prologue we kind of we kind of go back in time a little bit and this is where we meet dr Catherine halsey and lieutenant junior grade Jacob Keys on board the Han, a UNSC diplomatic shuttle. And so, you know, this is our first time meeting Keys within the lore. And he's kind of confused as to why he's assisting uh, Halsey because he kind of realizes, I'm, I really shouldn't be here. You kind of know what you're doing. Uh, this mission, I really don't understand the mission either. So why am I here? And at that point, she kind of explains, well, A, because I can't have this ship without one person. So I chose, or, you know, one UNSC officer. So I chose you because I literally had to. And then she said, why I specifically chose you is because you can keep a secret. And we kind of get a little bit of Key's backstory and how he won't go turn his back on a fellow UNSC officer. And he won't, he didn't testify against them. So that's why she says, okay, you'll, you'll keep your mouth shut. And she specifies it multiple times. You will have to keep your mouth shut. We get this really cool dialogue between the two of them, and it sets Mm -hmm. it up pretty much for the rest of the book, just kind of giving them really cool characterization and showing just how smart and witty and badass Halsey is Mm -hmm. and just how determined and, I guess, militaristic. I don't want to say it like that, but like just how she's she's very cold and calculated. She she means what she says and she says it immediately. Yeah, and and with Keys, like you you see him kind of coming through, and he's like, "Yep, this this is my order. This is my mm-hmm. mission, and this is what we're doing." So it's really neat to see that really early on their characterizations between the two of uh-huh. them. Well, even at one point, uh, Halsey's talking to an AI, and she's talking so quickly and giving it such quick commands that it has to stall for a second just to think and. Keys even notes he's never seen an AI stall when talking to someone. So it kind of also lays out the ground for what kind of character she is and who she is. Mm -hmm. So they're on a mission in order to scope out the subjects that they've been monitoring. And Catherine Halsey wants to go meet uh, one of them, which is we learn is is John. He's at school. They pose as a couple looking for a school for their, their young daughter. And so this is the first time we see John in the lore. And they're playing King of the Hill, which I didn't know this at the time, but apparently kids can be violent with that. When we played King of the Hill, it was just pushing each other. But it it shows John like punching kids in the face and winning. 
easily. Like he's not even trying at this point. Yeah. So it, they do describe it pretty well in the book. And it's interesting because he's like, throwing elbows. They're kind of doing what they can to get to the top. And Crazy he's kids. And he's just obviously winning. And we'll, we'll learn later on who John is because mm-hmm. obviously it's our star character. Uh-huh. We don't know that yet, but it's never described within the games till we mm-hmm. get till three that it's even mentioned at the end. Yeah, I think, which again, Eric, it was Eric's idea to, to give him a name and came up with John. I'm sure if it wasn't for that, they would have just always referred to him as Master Chief or Subject 117 or whatnot. Yeah, and then, yeah, you're typically all within their Spartan or, or you know, whatever describes him within the, the canon of the game. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool that we're seeing this. And so Halsey and Keys are there, and she's like, that's the one. Like, mm-hmm. obviously the one beating him up. So she calls him over. And I like this really, this really good description in the book that, you know, he does. He just kind of stares her down. Yeah, like he's not like a kid who's kind of bashful, and he just mm-hmm. comes right up to her, almost like like an adult would. Yeah, this is a forty year old, seven year old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So 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 he comes up, and uh, you know they're, they're talking as their conversation goes. She's you know she pulls out this coin, mm-hmm. and she talks about, hey, this was you know an ancient currency, um, and she sees him eyeing it, and she's like, it's. It, the way he's eyeing it is not like, you know, anyone else is kind of like hungry and mm-hmm. and wanting it. Yeah. And so she's she's playing a game. She's like, you like games? She's like, oh, I love games, you know, but I'm not allowed in any of them. Like, because they play. He wins. He's too good. He's too good. He's too, not big, but he's just too aggressive. And he's just he's too, athletic. He's athletic. He's, and he's, he's built for this. Exactly. So she's like, okay, let's play a game. He's super excited to play this. So it's, it's heads or tails. And it's mm-hmm. obviously, as she describes it, there's a man's face in one. And an eagle on the other side. So I, I mm-hmm. the best description, I assume, uh, U.S. quarter would, yeah, be, the, would be the best. It's basically what it is. And so she says, "If I'm going to flip it, and you have to call it. If you call it correctly, you can keep it. Mm-hmm. So he's pumped. He's hustling. Oh, yeah. At <laughs> oh, seven, yeah. he's a hustler. Oh, yeah. So, so he's like, all right, awesome. So she flips it. And the, so she describes him. She's looking at him. Mm-hmm. And it's almost as if he is looking through the coin and knows exactly what it's going to be. Yeah, like he's, a, he's he's not watching a coin flip. He's watching, he's checking each side almost, mm-hmm. you know. He's like registering heads, tails, heads, tails. Exactly. And so so he snags out of the air, plops it on his hand, calls it, and calls it correctly. Mm-hmm. He gets in, and then he gets to keep it. And so uh, something I like as well, and we start to see a little bit of humanity, is Halsey calls him John, but then she kind of like thinks to herself like, I can't get too attached. Like I should have, I, you know, I should have just thought to myself that he is one one seven because she kind of references like their lives are basically over. Their lives are kind of kind of be hell from here on out. And so at that point, we move on then, and it shows uh, Halsey is later. You know, it switches scenes, and Halsey's standing in this room, and so she's she's waiting for these candidates to come. Mm-hmm. And this is also where we meet the AI Deja. They have a quick conversation. This is also where we meet uh, Franklin Mendez, the the badass who who trains the Spartans, the guy who they describe him almost kind of like a machine. And so at once he comes up and he comes up to this this podium, I think they're standing at or just like a, a, I think, a I think ledge it, or something, it's something like, like that. that. It's 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 something like a conference roomy mm-hmm. ledge thing. I mean, like, yeah. like you'd have in like a stage almost. Yeah. And so all 75 kids are brought in at that point, And we realize that these kids His kids were taken and Halsey then tells them, listen, you're going to be the protectors or the protector of Earth and all her colonies. Uh, And so at that point, John perks up because he's he's interested. You know, 
we kind of start learning that John is really driven by a sense of purpose. And so at this point, he's told his purpose mm -hmm. because that is their purpose. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. Some kids try to, you know, you see some kids trying to get away and the guys, you know, there's there's one guy per per uh, child. And so they're just grabbing them and shoving them back. She says, training starts tomorrow. And at that point, it, we go into the next morning where it's not like, hey, wake up, training time. It's we're going to shock you with shock batons and scream at you and you have to go do all these various exercises which is what happens mendez shocks john and he wakes up and he instantly like he backs away later on like when he sees a baton not because he's scared but just because his body tells him to which is what i like yeah and they put him into because basically what they're doing is they've taken these seven-year-olds and put them into just boot training mm -hmm. which i, I want to say i want to guesstimate that it's more extreme even because these aren't just going to be regular UNSC soldiers or even like ODST tier. They're going to be like top-notch best no matter what. So I, I, I'd like to theorize, and there's probably some stuff written about it later on, that this is like more intense than anything they've ever, like they've ever put on anyone else. I could be wrong. It just seems like really boot. <laughs> True. Okay, maybe. No, it, it, it is. I mean, I mean, the way they describe it, it's, it's definitely more... But it's like your typical boot camp. I mean, it's it's push-ups, sit-ups, mm -hmm. all these different things. And basically, it's it's pushing that team mentality as they go about it. So it's like, mm -hmm. if you come in last or if you stop doing this, mm -hmm. run some laps, double what you have to do. You're yeah. doing 100 push-ups, can't do it, run some laps, do 200 push-ups. Yeah, which is what the first thing they have to do is they go outside and they start doing this workout. And so then they eventually, I think they have to do a jog into a classroom. Mm -hmm. And this is where they get their first lesson from the AI Deja. And she teaches them about the 300 Spartans, which is what I love, which you're instantly just like, ah, oh, Spartan, Spartan, Spartan. Yeah. She said it. And, you know, they learn about how they fought off the, it was the Persian Empire, correct? I'm no historian. Sure. We're going to go I think with that. so. Sorry to anyone if we're wrong, but that's what we're going with right now. But yeah, and so instantly it's showing them that team mentality and how there's there's strength in even small numbers and how if you work together, you can you can oppose 10 times the odds, which is literally what we see in the prologue. So, yeah, we, we've already seen kind of their, their, mm -hmm. their Spartan-ness of it. And it's really cool that I really like the way that Natalie describes this and puts it in there with Deja is that they're getting basically school lessons. Uh -huh. with like a hidden undertone for each of them. It's almost like the Mr. Miyagi effect. It's like wax on, wax off. It's like, oh, shit, you're teaching me how to fight. Yeah, and, it, and, it's, and what's great, too, is it's not just like this, the Spartan thing. They're also being taught calculus and maths. And Yeah, like they're, they're also geniuses, you find out. Like they're not just great soldiers. They're, they're teaching them like college-level stuff very early on. So they're, they're smarter than you and I, uh, in our mid twenties, when by the time they're like fourteen or something, which we learn later on. Also, disclaimer: they're smarter than Jesse. Jesse's not talking for me. <laughs> no, no, they are. No, they, they are. It, it's it's cool because basically these are seventy five hand picked kind of max stat characters. If you want to put it that yeah. way, like <laughs> yeah. they've they've already maxed them out at. at, at level and age 14 mm. and uh no are, are yeah. pushing them through this yeah by by the time they're 14 they're they're maxed out mm -hmm. but so after this lesson they're told they get to go to the quote playground and so john's excited that's a lie the playground is a two mile run to a an obstacle course basically mm -hmm. and so they're divided everyone's divided into teams of three and so mendez tells them listen first team to ring that bell uh gets a, a big meal which is like turkey and gravy and mashed potatoes and like ice cream like, pretty, pretty good stuff. Everything and, you dream of, like, a kid. Yeah, exactly. Even an adult. I found... I, <laughs> I was pretty hungry after reading that. And so, John meets 
Kelly and Sam. And he's kind of like, these two are just going to slow me down. So we instantly see you're supposed to win as a team. And John's instantly just like not thinking about that. So he's a hothead. And so it starts. John John's the first one to ring the bell. Shows up to Mendez, says, I, I rung it. You know, Mendez's like, yep, saw that. Unfortunately, Sam and Kelly were the last ones to ring the bell. So as a whole, their team lost. So they didn't get to eat anything. I think they got like a liter of water. Yeah, they got two or liters of water. Yeah, like that's it. Or I don't like not eating after two hours. So I can't imagine doing full day of physical activity and maybe only eating like crackers. I said is what they're fed in between mm-hmm. and then only having water. So we get to the next day, wash, rinse, repeat. We get our morning workout. We get our lesson. We go back to the obstacle course, and it's a little different. We're back on the same teams, which Kelly and Sam are not thrilled about. But John says, you know, listen, we're going we're gonna to do this as a team this time. So this is also where we learn about Kelly's kind of unique strength, which is she's, she's quick. She's the fastest one there. And so they, they use that to their advantage, and they go through this obstacle course together, and they win as a team. And so yeah, instantly Mendez kind of notes that like instantly like, OK, this kid's learning quick. And not only he's learning, he's adapting. So mm-hmm. he went from being just this hothead solo guy to to leading his team through. And one, one thing I really liked that they wrote in was that. So whenever they started getting together as a team, you know, Kelly was the first one there to this kind of elevator mm-hmm. or raising thing. You basically it was like a basket and a rope. Yeah. Yeah. And and so another team started to get in. And so John and Sam like barge in, throw them off like, no, we're going. Mm-hmm. And what I also like was it wasn't like he was first the day before. Now he's first again. I think they played second or third. Yeah. They weren't the first team there, but they were also they still finished as a team. Yeah. And they weren't they, they were nowhere near last. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, we start seeing the the teamwork really come together within the Spartans, something that's going to be implemented with them for years and years to come. We kind of fast forward a little bit, and we see all the candidates getting dropped off in the forest, basically. And Mendez tells him, "Listen, you're all giving, you're all going to get a piece of a map, and you're all going to have to find a certain point into where we're going to pick you up. And the last person to get there has to walk back. And I'm assuming it's miles and miles back. And so once they get dropped off, you kind of see." them all group and you kind of see John's leadership skills really start to come out because he knows everyone's looking to him for the plan. So I, I can't remember. It's X amount of miles of a hike that they have to do in order to this, this rally point. Mm. They're all instantly worried. Like who's going to be the last one to go? Because clearly they said that. And John insists, you know, like, no, no one's getting left behind. If anyone gets left behind, it's me. I don't care. Mm -hmm. And so again, we're seeing those leadership skills really come out as they're making their way to this rally point. They discover a pelican with three men. It's three, correct? Yes, it's three or four, but it, yeah. it's, a, it's a small group of men mm-hmm. who aren't in their uniform. No, no it's insignia, just signia, and they're just like there by the pelican, smoking, playing uh-huh. cards, other stuff. So, what henchmen do? Yeah, exactly. So, so <laughs> your basic henchman style, and I mean they've been trained to see fellow so- soldiers. And to you know, notify and see uh-huh. like insignia and what's their well, rank. It's and... like it's like a sol- uh, fellow soldiers, civilians, and enemies. Mm-hmm. And they can't, you know, they're like these aren't fellow soldiers, so that's what they know. Yeah, and and so they're like, well, what do they do? Like they're they're panicking. Did mm-hmm. they take out Mendez's men? Are these the people yeah. who are supposed to be there? Well, well, I like that they say, did they kill Mendez? And I think John says, no, no one can kill Mendez. Yeah. So instantly, we all we already also see how the Spartans look up to Mendez, even though he's crazy brutal with them but you know it's just like so it's almost like stock it is stockholm syndrome 
Like they're they're kidnapped and you know get their asses beat, and then they're like, Mendes is awesome. Like, didn't, no, doesn't he shock you with batons? Well, I think I think by this point too, it's been like mm-hmm. you said, it's been since they were seven up until now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's before fourteen. We'll get into that in a little bit. So yeah. it's before the age of fourteen. I think it's a little bit before. So probably twelve, twelve, yeah. thirteen, maybe. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you see that their commanding officer, they they have the respect, mm-hmm. and I mean, it's it's kind of almost looking up to a parent. And thinking of them not as a not as another human being, but as a parent. Yeah, like they don't have their own life. So I think that's yeah. kind of like the mm-hmm. oh, he's he could never die. Yeah, like, that's like, what they said. He could never be killed. Yeah, he's he's the greatest out there. So yeah, so they they, they John has basically taken out a couple of them, the recon. So they're reconning the the area, and they come mm-hmm. back and regroup, and then they come up with a plan because they yeah. noticed all of them had shock batons. So they're yeah. like, they're not here to fly us out. Yeah, like, let's let's be careful. Mm-hmm. So the plan is that they're going to have Kelly is going to run a little bit of interference. So she, since she is the fastest, uh-huh. they're going to have her kind of pull one away. Mm-hmm. And another one, was it Sam or was it another? Sa- Sam was the one that pretended. Okay, Sam then, yeah. pretends he gets his leg broken. Yeah, so Sam pretends his leg is broken. He's kind of along the chain of the trap. Mm-hmm. He's so the bait, basically. He's the bait. So, so they have Kelly go out. And she's she's down getting down towards the pelican, and mm-hmm. the guy's like, "Oh, it's only one. This is going to be easy." Yeah, and she's pulls like, out a shock baton, like he's ready to go. Yeah, and so she's like, "Oh, well, I forgot something back here. Hold on one second. So she sprints off, and immediately the dude chases her down. Well, I like also John says like John goes for her, but he's like, "Me or this guy aren't going to be able to catch her." Yeah, like she's a thirteen year old girl and this grown man, which I'm assuming has some military training, still can't catch this little girl because she's so freaking quick. Yeah. So so you so you have them come out and then I believe then Sam is kind of like wailing and like mm-hmm. complaining about his leg. So then this guy's coming up to him, and he's like, "Oh, it's gonna be an easy one too. It's right here." And at that point, that's when the stones start flying. Yeah, they, they all seventy five kids just start going to town on these guys and throwing stones at them. And it, this leads to you know a lesson that they learned early on was a a, a pack of wolves mm-hmm. can take out a moose even though the moose is ten times bigger than them. It, and so this is kind of we already see that foreshadowing come to light of they they are the wolf pack taking out the the moose per se once this is all said and done we also see that john really cares about his team because he's upset that one of these guys was going to hurt them so he kicks him in the side of the head i believe while he's down or something like Mm -hmm. that like something that would hurt from a very athletic teenager and so they make john makes his way onto the pelican and he calls uh the ai deja and he says yeah, I love this. You need to teach me how to fly this thing. She's like, well, I can't do that, but I can just autopilot you guys yeah. home. And John, again, with the, these leadership skills, we see John be the, you know, he's the last one to get onto the Pelican. He makes sure everyone else is on, then he gets on, and, and they fly home together, all 75 of them, as a team. Mm-hmm. So afterwards, he's in the principal's office. You know, he he's in Mendez's office, and you can Mendez is sitting there reading the report of what happens, and you can tell he's kind of upset. And Halsey is there too, and he says, "Why did you attack these guys? Like, wh- what the hell?" And he's he's they they didn't identify themselves, and they attacked us. Like we were defending ourselves, and we were doing the mission you you told us to do. And so he's kind of I think that's exactly the answer he wanted to hear. He's still trying to play it off as a little upset, but deep down, he's he's kind of happy about this. Like it went so well. Yeah, because it's a teaching moment. I mean, he, this is also kind of foreshadowing any commander you're going to have is going to question, you know, your orders you gave or what you did, and you have to back mm-hmm. be able to back up and be like, "This is why I did that." Mm-hmm. And so then he asks Halsey, "What are we going to do with him?" She says, "Make him leader." 
Mm-hmm. And right then and there, he is the leader of the Spartans. So afterwards, we we fast forward. They're 14 years old. I don't know how much forward we're fast forwarding, but they're 14 years old. And they're getting ready to go through the augmentation process. And it and it and we start to learn exactly what all they're augmented with. Like their bones become unbreakable. They get night vision. There's quite a bit of other things. It's it, it's a long detailed list, which that sci-fi background or that that science background kind of comes into play. Yeah, cuz uh, imagine like basically every amazing animal trait they uh, <laughs> basically put it into them. I mean, it, it's like it, they basically turn into Rob Schneider's character from that movie. Was it the animal? Is that what it's called? I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. Oh my about. god, someone will get that. It's literally Rob Schneider gets a bunch of traits of an animal. So he can like smell drugs and stuff and run like a cheetah. Then, then yes, that's what they are. <laughs> that's the only time Spartans will Spartans of the Halo universe will be referenced to Rob Schneider. Please. <laughs> <laughs> and this this is this part is kind of sad because Mendez and Halsey walk into a room and John is fighting the anesthetics like he's he's getting ready to pass out and he's just trying to fight it. And so he's 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 asking Halsey, he says, every time we have a mission from Mendez, there's a twist. And he says, there's got to be a twist with this one. Like, what is it? Can you just please tell me? And at that point, Mendez has to turn away because he's he's just it's a sad thing to see. Like, they have no idea what's about to happen. They were just basically put under and. Halsey just tells him survive, mm-hmm. and so for John, that's that's the mission. I mean, yeah. that, that is his mission to do it. And so they all go undergo their anesthesia, and they start getting augmented. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, out of the seventy five, less than half make it through that operation. Mm-hmm. At least, like fully functioning. Yeah, fully functioning. So basically, they either died or they were far too injured mm-hmm. to even consider combat. Yeah, they said at uh, one point, and his name, or his, his name escapes me, but they said he was just sitting, like one of the Spartans after the augmentation was just sitting in a wheelchair, just shaking. Like so, and they, and this is why talking back with uh, Dr. Halsey mm-hmm. about not wanting to call him John and get attached, even mm-hmm. though you can obviously see the attachment she has with him, uh, even with Mendez too. Yeah. they're both very attached to them. Both very attached. So I mean, it's it's like losing half your children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just. How upset they were to see them go. You know, it's it's this this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, kind of thing. Like having to put them through this, and so we're at a funeral, and we see you know these uh these caskets get blown out into space, and John John asks Mendez, he he still doesn't really understand what stood what happened, and mm-hmm. so he asks Mendez like, why did I fail this mission? I just let a bunch of my men die, and it, at that point you kind of see almost that since they've been raised in the military for half of their life you kind of see like sometimes like common sense and logic is escaping them because they only see things as a mission and so, mm-hmm. and so it's almost kind of sad to see that he's blaming himself when there's literally nothing to blame yeah and it's it's tough because he's still a kid and mm-hmm. you're still understanding these things of like why like my mission was the, i was the leader mm-hmm. this is on me that I have lost all of these people. Yeah, it's 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 sad, you know, because he he's like a a fourteen year old adult mm-hmm. that it's like was born and raised in a room and now is let into the real world. At that point, we move on and they're told to rest up for a few days. You know, you, you have to readjust everything that just happens, which. I'm still confused about why they didn't tell them what exactly was happening because we see that John doesn't realize his body has changed so much. Mm-hmm. He he goes into a gym, he starts working out in the just the regular gravity, and everything's feeling light. 
like I think he said they said he picked up like what twenty kilogram dumbbells or something, and he's starting to curl them, and he's like, "This is just way too light." Yeah, and, and he took and he took basically all the free weights they had and threw them on the bench, mm-hmm. and like tries to bench. He's like, "This is still far too light." Yeah, well, he and you even see that he's like. He's like, is the gravity messed up? Because he dro- he's like dropping pins and stuff and seeing that they're moving slower. Mm-hmm. And he's like checking his watch and everything. And it's like everything is here is fine. And and, and he goes, it doesn't he go into like the, the heavier gravity area just to be like, oh, this feels better yeah. now. This room must be all jacked up. So at that point, we see, this is the first time we see ODST, correct? This is the first time we see the orbital drop shop troopers. Yeah. I don't like these guys. I like ODST yeah. usually, not these guys. So yeah. And so so the way that John is seeing them and the way that Nyland describes it, mm-hmm. they're like these battle-hardened badasses, mm-hmm. scars across their faces, the biggest dudes that yep. kind of John's ever seen. Yeah. And, I mean, he admires them because they are these badass soldiers, mm-hmm. and that's what he's tr- striving to be. Mm-hmm. And so they, they come in, the biggest of all of them goes on the bench that John was just on, mm-hmm. and then just starts his rep. And immediately when he lifts the weight up starts to come down, he gets shaky, and the weights fall off on one mm-hmm. side, and the bar drops on the other side. Which I'll say, two two things. John didn't re-rack his weights, mm-hmm. and the dude didn't warm up at all. Probably just tried to to one rep five hundred. No warm up. <laughs> well, he was, no one can do that. He was the bully leader, so obviously he has to show off for his like <laughs> peons he had. There's nothing wrong with warming up. Just just for everyone who wants to know, warm up with the bar first, yeah, and then go from there. So because of these two things, uh, like he's like, what the hell happened to the pin? And like mm-hmm. John's like. You know, being just this person, he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Looks I, at his hand and yeah. goes, uh-oh. Yeah. And he's like, I'm sorry. This was me. And then the guy's like, you know, I'm going to basically make you eat those words type thing. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. and then uh, you're going to learn your lesson about uh, not re-racking your weight. Yeah. Which is actually, yeah. Yeah. And so then this is where we start to get into John's in, uh, inner monologue, which mm-hmm. we'll have throughout the book, which is like, okay, so these are friendlies. Like, mm-hmm. these are fellow soldiers but they are a threat now. Yeah, and he's like, it's that, really, and they're and they're above me in commanding officer, and they're they're con- that conflict with us. I'd like, oh god, what do I do? Yeah, and, and we'll see that throughout the we'll see that throughout the book. Whenever things happen with either the Spartans or fellow soldiers, it's like mm-hmm. he has to kind of do this tier list. So when they start just giving those verbal warnings, he's like, no, they're they're still friendlies. There is a threat, but they're still mm-hmm. friendlies. But once they all kind of come on to him, and then punches start flying, he's like, okay. They're not friendlies anymore. Like yeah. these are hostiles that I have to take out. Yeah, and then at that point, a general comes in and is kind of like, "All right, like if, if you're gonna do this, do it in a ring. Like you just you know do it in I guess a proper setting." And so John's instantly like, "Cool, hell yeah, uh, got it. Got a mission. Like I now know in my head, uh, a ranking officer told me to do this." Mm-hmm. And so we learn that it's not really a fair fight. John out of nowhere takes them all out very quickly and. He ends up killing a few of them, right? Mm-hmm. I think out of three or four, he kills like two or three. Yeah, he, and he kills per- two of them, and I think just probably destroys the other one. Yeah, and, and and basically with little to no effort, just punches them a few times, and they're they're dead. Mm-hmm. This is also where we kind of learn about his his super quick focus and uh, reaction time that they're swinging a barbell at him, and he's just yeah, he's just dodging it like it's nothing. Yeah, and and so this this officer that's in there that that commanded him to fight, he's he's like what and so mendez comes in mm-hmm. yeah mendez comes in and he's like all right, all right all right stop it yeah and he's like and he's like we need to talk about this and he's like oh he's one of yours yeah he's he's one of quote them yeah yeah. And he yeah. kind of learns like uh-oh and mendez says you're gonna get debriefed about this like go on they're gonna deb- debrief you about what happened and so we kind of learn right then and there this was all completely set up like 
they basically sent ODSTs in to say, all right, how how much have they improved from this augmentation? And well, I don't know. I, it's it's tough to read on that because either yeah, you're right. Either Mendez had had this and kind of planned it out, mm-hmm. or this is where we first get to know that the Spark program is still pretty secret. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's definitely, you know, kind of under the hood thing that the public is not supposed to know about, especially like there's no way the public should know about these 75 children being kidnapped. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's like, oh, you're one of them. Like, that's one of those things where more than likely it's it's like talk around the office. It's Mm -hmm. like, oh, did you hear that they're making super soldiers? Mm -hmm. Did you hear that these kids? Why are these kids here? Yeah. You know, so I, I think this is where we first get a glimpse into the secret of life. Mm-hmm. that they're kind of having to lead around this whole base. Yeah. So then we move on later, and so we find Halsey in Mendez's office waiting for him, and he's called on to Halsey to say, you know, hey, I have something to show you. And we learn about the the mech suits that were originally supposed to be kind of the Spartan armor, and we kind of learn that they're now repurposed to work in mines, and so he reminds Halsey of those and then says, you know, I got to show you something. So they make their way into this mine, and they find themselves at this like kind of stand or this this booth, and he's you know it's it, it's capture the flag, correct? With like these guys in mech suits guarding a flag. Yeah, so you so you have uh, these guys in mech. So it's mm-hmm. actually the uh, you know Mjolnir, basically Mark One. Yeah, uh, so very just, old primitive version. Yeah, because I, I like the, the how they described it. It's like like we couldn't figure out this battery backups they're attached to. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine what it imagine what I picture it as is like those mech suits. It's like an alien. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the, the, where she fights off the queen. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I what it, I picture it as. Yeah, yeah, with a giant f- battery attached to you. Yeah, basically, or just like a cord running into yeah. the wall. And so yeah, they start capture the flag, and instantly one thing we see is like the lights start going out, and we start noticing these figures that are in like all black, almost basically dressed as like a cliche ninja. Mm-hmm. And so they start slowly taking out the mechs. You know, at one point. Uh, we talked about this earlier. You described that uh, one of the mechs is used as a counterbalance almost. They tie a mech up and, like, pull it up to the ceiling. Yeah, we were talking about the book uh, right before this, and we were saying that I love this part because, so basically, mm-hmm. John jumps down mm-hmm. and then ties this mech up to the rope that he was on, mm-hmm. and then the mech flies into the air. Yeah. And it seems like your typical kind of, like, Acme trap. Yeah. But they use, you know, it's it seems primitive of, like, you know, like a lever system, but... As they talk about with mathematics, they use it as a counterweight to have other Spartans drop from the ceiling. Yeah. And eventually, you know, everything goes dark. And then when the lights come back on, all the mechs are out and the flag is gone. Mm-hmm. And Mendez is just kind of like, damn it. But almost kind of like a frustrated way, but almost an impressed way at the same time. And he says, all right, I'm going to check the cameras. Cameras are out, too. He says, every time we do this exercise, we move the cameras. And they, they find them and take them out instantly. And something I love, he says, I don't know where they got those outfits. They were just sent down there, and I'm assuming in kind of regular clothes, and they somehow found outfits. So, and they also you know figured out how to take out these lights. So, they're mo- they're they're working as a team, almost like a well-oiled machine. And Mendez says, every time we try to make this harder, they do it better. It's like he's like they're kind of living for this. They like they love this. Yeah, and and this is like the one thing as we've talked about this whole book, mm-hmm. combat and strategy and winning mm-hmm. is their life. Yeah, and they're 
born and bred to do that, and this is what they're doing efficiently. So once we see how efficiently they can work together as a team, they're put on their real first mission. Mm -hmm. And this is where we kind of learn more about the insurrection, the civil war that's been going on within the UNSC. And this is why we have the Spartans to save humanity and save, like, the, quote, union. And so they're going to uh, kidnap a general, correct? An insurrectionist general? Colonel. Colonel, yeah. So they're going to kidnap a colonel. And so John picks uh, Sam, Linda, Kelly, and Fred to kidnap this insurrectionist uh, colonel. And they have to take him alive, correct? That's like the, the main goal yeah, so that's for the interrogation. Exactly. And, and it's tough for John because it's always been eliminate the enemy. So for this is one of their mm-hmm. first missions where it's like we need him captured and alive. Yeah. So when he puts his team together, he picks all of them. One, because the authors pretty much put them together as friends already, mm-hmm. but it just so happens that like Linda, Kelly, Fred, and Sam all have traits that John needs for this yeah, mission. Yeah, this is where we start to learn like uh, Linda is an expert uh, marksman. Sam is just a walking tank. They describe him as like a head taller than Chief, mm-hmm. so he's probably pushing eight foot, yeah. seven and a half, eight foot. Fred's a master with a knife, and as we know, Kelly is the, the fastest Spartan which puts her as the the fastest human being alive. Yeah, so it's it's basically you know your your perfect team mm-hmm. to get in, get dream out. Dream team. It is the dream team. It's you know putting them together. Yeah, and so once they how how do they get to uh, this? It's a insurrection colony, right? That's yeah. in an asteroid field. So so yeah, so they're in uh, the Eridanus asteroid belt, mm-hmm. which I they don't say it, but I believe it's close to where John was because he was on Eridanus two. Yeah, so I believe it was kind of around that that same area uh-huh. and. They sneak aboard basically this cargo ship, mm-hmm. and they sneak aboard in the water supply of it and to get to this colony because he's not where they originally thought he was. Yeah. But as Kelly's going through um, the list of goods that the ship has, yeah. she's like, hey, John, check this out. And he's like, I don't see anything out of the ordinary. And she's like, mm-hmm. look at those luxury look goods. Look at this, you, you dumb machine. <laughs> yeah, look at these luxury goods. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's for him. So they, it's they're- a, What is it? Sweet, it the, the big thing is like Sweet William cigars and champagne. Which something you'll learn later on is that's the only brand of cigar in the franchise of Halo. Like that's it. They have mon- like they're the monopoly of cigars. Yeah. So they they are basically the Cuba of cigars. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so they notice this and they make their way to this asteroid belt mm-hmm. and they don. So they have this kind of like the ninja clothes they stole, but they have this kind of skin tight black. Yeah. It's it's kind of like a very primitive like sneaky set of armor. You know. Yeah. It's not Mjolnir, but it's very. It's just their armor at the time. Yeah, and it, and it can like help deflect knife blows and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And so then they end up donning the coveralls from the crew that's working on the yeah. asteroid belt. Yeah, they go in disguise. Yeah, they go in disguise. And so they're making their way uh, to this guy's place. He's basically like, think of it as also like a cliche. He's like in the penthouse. He's like, yeah, of this hotel or tower. Yeah, he's at this, uh, I, I guess the best way to describe it is it's like a working tower mm-hmm. where his office slash penthouse slash yeah. just room that I guess you'd have on a mining it's colony. It's like a cliche supervillain yeah. uh, lair kind of thing where it's like out in the open. Yeah, and I think it helps us like dehumanize them. Like, mm-hmm. oh, they're like these villains. Yeah, and... because they, they make them out as like terrorists. You know, that's yeah. what they are, like domestic terror. And domestic, I mean, within like the UNSC. Yeah, so so it's, it's this insurrection that's happening. Mm-hmm. So they make their way in mm-hmm. and you kind of see all the different traits and their thinking patterns of like cracking the elevator and taking mm-hmm. everybody out with one small burst. Yeah. And, and making their way in. And so... Which we'll, we'll, we also start seeing them, you know, like they're very quick to just kill humans. You know, they're yeah. like 14 or 15 at this time, and they're just, no ifs, ands, or buts, just killing people. Like yeah. their first mission. And it and, and never talks about them resenting it, which I, 
it never really talks about them like resenting it or anything like that, which is just part of the mission, which what they're bred to do. So they're being efficient. Yeah. And it goes back to John's, you know, is it a friendly, is it a civilian or is it an enemy? Yeah. And the insurrection is the enemy. That's yeah. why they're here. Yeah. And so, so they're taking them out with like the utmost efficiency. Mm-hmm. And so we end up getting to the top of the tower and I believe they're leaning in through the window. I I think they might come in through the door or the window. They come in John, various ways. Yeah, because John, well, John's the first to, to do it. So mm-hmm. he's looking in through it, and he's, like, trying to find out where he is, and he sees him. But he's behind, you know, this the, the box of goods yeah. that are delivered. And there's two men in there, right? Yeah, there's two men protecting him. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he's, like, trying to line up the shot for them, but this he's in the way. And so while he's doing this... He gets wounded. Mm-hmm. He gets shot in the ribs, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it was something we learned very on is John is very quick to just push aside pain, which I think they're probably something they were bred to do specifically, just ignore the pain until later. Yeah, and if those augments probably help too. Yeah. <laughs> and so so he gets hit, but then the others take him out with quick efficiency. Mm-hmm. And and they knock out the, the colonel, and they, they get the hell out of there. Yeah, they shove him in with his goods, mm-hmm. and they take it out with him. And they're just like, well, taking this back now. Yeah. And this is the first part where we see that foam where they spray the, the, the biofoam the bio mm-hmm. that they spray into the wound and basically sutures it up for the mm-hmm. time being until you can get actual medical attention. Yeah. And so they mission success. They they got the colonel. They they make their way back. Uh, so John is awarded the Purple Heart for this, and which we learn later on is just a, a laundry list of all these awards that he he gets as his time as a Spartan and the rest of the Spartans. So after this, the Spartans are getting moved to, or, you know, we find out later on in early graduation and we hear Halsey and uh, Mendez talking about like, did we lose the colony of Harvest? Like that's kind of like the, the talk around the office. And so Mendez, you know, is also letting them know he's moving on or, or Halsey lets them know that Mendez is going to go train the next batch of Spartans. At that point, he, him and John have like one final quote lesson and, Basically ends with Mendez saying, like, listen, never surrender. Like, no matter what, it doesn't matter what the odds are, go down fighting. Like, go down fighting and just make sure you, you never get to that point, which I think is pretty significant. And then he gives him, he gives him one final gift before he leaves. Yeah, and, and so what I love is, is going back to that is he's like, you know, us in combat, we've got three options. Mm-hmm. We can fight, we can retreat, mm-hmm. or we can give up. Mm-hmm. And he said, we can't give up. We can never give up. Yeah. So I thought that was just a really neat thing that's mm-hmm. like, as a, you know, like there's, we can't, like we, we can never do that. And I think mm-hmm. within Spartan blood, it's not even there. Yeah. No, uh, you, you go down with the ship essentially. Yeah. And, and so as they're talking and having almost like this father son moment. Yeah. It's heart to heart. Yeah. Mendez reaches out and he's like, so they took this from you when you first got here and mm-hmm. I've kept it ever since. And he gives them that coin. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think this shows that. Even, no matter how much they wanted to try to distance themselves mm-hmm. from the Spartans and from these kids, mm-hmm. they were their kids. I mean, you got to be a sociopath in order to be in Halsey and Mendez's situation and not feel this way and have this kind of parent-child relationship. Mm-hmm. And so afterwards, we we learn then, you know, all the Spartans are called in. After the graduation, after it's all said and done, we learn about this attack on Harvest and they're all brought into a room and we see that harvest is just destroyed. It's mm-hmm. it's it's all it, the whole surface is burning. We we learn about this message that we got from you know this unknown race, this alien race, and the thing that really everyone was kind of like gasping about is that it was in the English language and no one translated it. It, it was sent 
in our own language. Yeah, so, so in the human UNSC language, mm-hmm. um, for any listeners who read the book in a different language, it's sent in your language. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, so it kind of shows that, oh, they've been... Mm-hmm. monitoring us yeah they they know enough about us to send us a message in our language and it's basically them declaring war mm-hmm. like listen you guys are all doomed we're taking you out it's the will of our gods so yeah halsey is then like okay you guys need your actual armor now so then they they where are they going to get their armor so they're going to uh what's called the damascus testing facility mm-hmm. and they are aboard the commonwealth which is a frigate carrying the spartans mm-hmm. and you know, full crew. Yeah, and this, and, and this is their mission, to do this. Exactly. So, so I don't think the Spartans really, they, they know that they're going there for something special. Mm-hmm. Um, and Halsey's like, we have to get on that pelican, like your crude pelican, we have to get down there. Yeah. And so the captain of the ship is, once again, kind of like everyone in the military is treating Dr. Halsey like, you're a civilian, why are you... Yeah, she's trying to kind of almost make calls, and he's just like, nah. Yeah, it's like, this is my ship. Yeah. And, and so they're on their way. And they're going to Chai Seti 4 to that facility. Mm-hmm. And on the way, a Covenant ship comes in. Yeah, we meet the, we actually see the Covenant. We just hear about them. We see them for the first time. Yeah. And, and we get this really cool, vivid description mm-hmm. of kind of the Covenant ship you see in the game that they're kind yeah. of they're very sleek uh-huh. and like, man, like manufactured and almost natural mm-hmm. in a way. And and at that point, we go through a battle with them, and we learn that UNSC ships are nothing compared to—a you know, one-on-one battle is nothing. No, because we learn that the Covenant ships have a full body shield on the, on the ship itself, mm-hmm. and that any small arms fire, rockets, anything that we have just— mm-hmm you know, def- deflects off of it, kind of like yeah. you would with an elite's armor power, like with an yeah. SMG. Yeah. And the one thing we do figure out is that the MAC gun, the magnetic acceleration cannon, mm-hmm. that it can actually knock the shields down. Yeah, and even get a little bit of a hole in there. Mm-hmm. And so that's what happens. A hole, they, they are able to kind of disable the ship a bit by... They shoot, slow it down a little They bit. slow it down and put a hole through it. And so while this is going on, the Spartans make their way down mm-hmm. uh, to get their armor. And, and this is where we first see Mjolnir. They all enter the room and we see the armor. And, she, you know, we, we learn that no normal human can wear this armor because it will shatter their bones mm-hmm. and, you know, paralyze them. So Chief gets in the armor and something he learns is that, like, he goes to salute and he hits his head because it literally doubles their strength. So if they can bench press 600 pounds, they can bench press 1,200 pounds now. You know, it doubles their speed and everything. Thing. So they all realize they have to quickly get accustomed to this armor. Mm-hmm. And so afterwards, you know, we get in the armor. Halsey says we're good to go. We get back on the Pelican. We get back on the Commonwealth. And now we got to get the hell out of here. But we still have to face that Covenant ship. Yeah, the ship, even though, you know, we have a we bore a hole all the way through the ship with mm-hmm. that Mac cannon. But the Commonwealth has sustained so much damage that mm-hmm. the Spartans realize we have to go on the ship and take it out. Otherwise, yeah. none of us are getting out well, of here. Spartans don't like being on a ship anyways because they can't do anything on a ship. So John says, listen, let's just blow it from the inside out. And that's basically the mission. They ha- they leave the ship and they make their way into that hole. But I like I like how they describe shields as almost they're like slippery mm-hmm. because he lands on the ship and he's like slipping. Trying to get a the, grip and he can't. Yeah, it's because of the shields. But they it's uh, Kelly, John, and Sam mm-hmm. all make their way into the ship. And this is the first time we see any covenant in which is a jackal. Yeah. And so they fight their way through jackals. And they make their way to kind of the core of the ship, right? Yeah, to kind of kind of center point that mm-hmm. they can kind of get through because they're kind yeah. of wheeling their way through where the explosion happened because it went mm-hmm. all the way through, like jumping yeah. over areas. And it seems that they, to their knowledge, have killed pretty much everyone inside. Yeah, they're 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 pretty good to go. 
And so they've brought a nuke, and that's what they're mm-hmm. going to do, is they're going to they're mm-hmm. let off a nuke. But unfortunately, yeah. our friend Sam here, he was hit mm-hmm. with uh, one of the plasma pistols that one of the jackals have, mm-hmm. and has pierced his armor. Yeah, and he he can't leave the ship. He'll die in space. Yeah, and so they're, this, man, it's such a sad scene, because they're getting ready to leave, and Johnny Killer like, let's go. And he's like, uh, so about that. Yeah, J- John basically is like, you stay here, and Kelly's confused, and Sam's like, yeah, I know. Like, Sam already knew he was going to have to stay and detonate the nuke. Yeah, and, and that's why I love being able to, like, hear John's inner monologue, because he's like, he has to stay. Like, there's nothing mm-hmm. we can do. Yeah, well, well, we learn earlier on, that we didn't mention this, that John uh, learns a lesson from Mendez. is like, there's a difference between wasting lives and spending lives. Mm-hmm. So this is where, you know, he, he was told that you, you will have to send people to their deaths. Mm-hmm. Like, you will have to do that. And this is a point he's sending a man to his death. Not wasting his life, but spending it. Yeah. And so it, it sucks, but they have to get out of there, and the, sh- the ship is destroyed. And at this point, we learn, okay, yes, we can kill them, we can defeat the Covenant, but at a high cost. You know, at the, one of the lives of the Spartans. Yeah. Just to, to destroy a ship. For one Covenant ship. Yeah, and that's not, that's not the par, but it's still, you just see what has to happen sometime. Mm-hmm. And so whenever John and Kelly left, mm-hmm. Sam just had time on his hands. And you know what you can do with time on your hands? What can you do with time on your hands? You can listen to a book on Audible. Oh, can you? Yeah. And so today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash finish the fight and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs and download a title free and start listening today. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash finish the fight to get started today. Now, some might say, why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. Now, I know Jesse and I mm-hmm. both started using Audible again because we were reading through the books and we decided, hey, let's do the audio version so we can kind of get work done and take our notes mm-hmm. as we're going through well, it. Well, yeah, I, I listened to probably half of this book at work alone. Yeah, so we definitely recommend if you haven't listened to this original trilogy or read the original trilogy to check it out, to check mm-hmm. out Fall of Reach, Flood, and First Strike. Mm-hmm. With Audible, you're able to do that, like you said, on the go. You can download it in the app and listen to whatever device you have. Yep. So to download your free audiobook today, Go to audibletrial.com slash finish the fight. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash finish the fight for your free audiobook. Thank you, Audible, for sponsoring today's episode. So now we're fast forwarding a few years and we learn that uh, Admiral Cole has actually taken back Harvest eventually. Mm-hmm. What I think we had to outnumber the Covenant ships three to one or something, and we still lost almost a majority of our ships. Yeah, two thirds were lost. Yeah, so we learn again that the Covenant are, especially in space, are are nothing to scoff at. So this is where we start to see how we're trying to defend against uh, the Covenant. So we meet Instant William Level, and he's basically on this this ship out in the outskirts, as far away from the war as possible. And he did this in order to just get away from the battle. Yeah, he was he was a decorated soldier at one point but you know whether it be money troubles women troubles booze troubles he's kind of done with the war yeah he, he kind of got promoted and then demoted and he, fi- he finds himself out in this ship where he's just like i want to stay safe and yeah because he made sure that he's like i want really nothing to do with this i'm going mm-hmm. to an outer system where mm-hmm. the covenant has never been seen or heard of 
and he's just, you know, living his life. He's basically like a modern day toll booth operator. Yeah. And this is where we learn every day when he logs in, we learn about what the coal protocol is, which is uh, he has to recite it every day to this computer. And it's basically wiping memory of 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 all the computers that you have, uh, getting rid of the on shipboard AI and making a random slip space jump. Uh, away from Earth. Mm -hmm. That's basically the sum of it. It's pretty detailed, which I like. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because it's kind of... It's one of those things where you just just assume you're not going to make it Mm -hmm. and make sure the Covenant cannot find Earth or its colonies. Yep, that's that's the gist of it. Mm -hmm. And so while he's on patrol, he notices this kind of shape out in the distance X amount of light years away or something. I, I don't know the exact distance. And so he thinks, should I report this? But then he kind of thinks to himself, no, because, like, it's probably nothing, and then I'll get in trouble for making a report out of nothing. So he just, he moves on from it. He's like, whatever, I'm I'm going to send in a report that there's this little thing, mm-hmm. but I'm just going to play it off. So later on we meet Keys again, and he's the commander of the Iroquois. And something specific is that this, this ship doesn't have an AI, which I guess is pretty unusual, but it's late in the war, so they don't have really the manpower for that. Or they don't have the resources for that. And he sees this report and he notices – he references a different report about how little objects in space can actually be – or this object in space can actually be multiple little objects that make it look like one big one. So he he freaks out instantly and realizes, oh, shit. Yeah, and, and so while this is happening, they're, they're outside of Sigma, Sigma Octanus 4? Yeah. And so – they prepare for a, a, a battle, and they kind of estimate what ships are coming. And once they get here, they they learn that it's a lot more ships and a lot bigger ships than they thought. So it's one ship against a Covenant Armada, and they're basically like, "Well, we're screwed." But Keys, being the tactical genius that he is, he decide he and he doesn't tell his crew either because there's literally no seconds to spare. He uh, do, does this maneuver to take out almost all of the ships. And part of it is, you know, having missiles that these missiles that are shot at the Iroquois and he guides them towards other Covenant ships breaking down their shields. And mm-hmm. it's later called the Keys Loop. And I, and I will say it's it's really hard to explain. You can look this up, which I, I recommend you do or, or read the book, because the Keys Loop is is a series of maneuvers you have to do to take out multiple Covenant ships. And it's just it's tricky. It, it's confusing to read, too. Yeah, and it's, it's basically trying to deal with that plasma and heat seeking and making sure you're in a certain sector for this thing. It's it's really well done and described in the book. We are butchering mm-hmm. it right now, um, mm-hmm. but it's it's definitely worth the read, even just for something like that, just to kind of see, like, keys that you see in CE, like, how he came about. Yeah. And, like, even though, like, you just know that he, like, hands you a pistol and then you punch yeah. his face in. <laughs> yeah. You know, you at least can see, like, he actually was a really pivotal character in humanity's fight against the Covenant. Yeah, and so once this is, you know, all said and done, the Covenant start to retreat. And he kind of notices, like, that's a little suspicious. He's like, scan the planet. And he notices, you know, the Covenant sent out ships onto the planet to attack the planet. And so then this is when we see the Spartans again. And they're on the ground trying to fight this battle. And we notice that a bunch of Marines are slaughtered in order to try to save uh, some civilians. And the mission is save civilians, but also try to find out anything you can about the Covenant. And so something I like, though, about this scene is that we also see the engineers for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, creatures that we won't see until Halo 3 or DST, but he knows them taking apart engines and cars and putting them back together instantly. They're kind of just... 
goofing around, but it's really like what they do. It just seems like they're goofing around. Yeah, it, it's almost like like little kids putting blocks in the right holes type thing, like circle in a circle hole, because they would just like mm-hmm. look at the engine, they would take it apart, they would rebuild it into something else, take yeah. it apart, rebuild it into something else, and uh-huh. then when they're done, they're like, no, I'll just put it back, and they rebuild it right away <laughs> yeah. and just put it back. Yeah, and that's kind of learn they're kind of almost like scientists. So after we we kind of learn a little bit about them and see them, John notices or he, he's informed that there's these covenant that are investigating a museum. And so John's kind of torn because he's like, man, I need to evacuate these civilians, but I also need to learn more about the Covenant or see what they're doing. So John decides that they're going to go investigate what the Covenant are doing. And so this is also where we see the hunters for the first time, because when they get into this museum, they notice that a jackal has been stepped on and crushed. And they're like, this looks like he was just kind of in the way. This is the first time we see the the hunters and how they're just like tanks, you know, as compared to like CE where you can shoot them in the back once. Yeah, it's it's a lot different here. Yeah, because we we see him we see him a little bit earlier. Because um, we get we get the the point of view from the Marines who are still mm-hmm. there, and they were like they were getting wiped out by these things. And but this is the first time the Spartans are seeing it, mm-hmm. and they notice you know they're they're giant armored arm. They basically have a plasma gun, and they're kind of just inferring like we never seen it before, but like these mm-hmm. are what it looks like all they have. Yeah, and so they're seeing that they are have like this um, you know covenant pedestal. That yeah. is emitting this huge beam of light that goes up. Yeah. And as John's looking in, I think it was really interesting. Like it fried his RF sensor and his um yeah. and everything that he has. So he's like almost shut his eyes, basically shut his helmet. Yeah, even though they have a visor that's basically sunglasses. Yeah. Like it outshined that. Yeah, it outshined that. And so they're like, oh, it has to like something that powerful can beam into space. And so they find this 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 rock that has like mineral deposits on it, and the chief not really understanding why, but knows that like if they're if they need it then we need to stop them. Yeah, we're going to take it. And so that's when they, they you see like there was a three Spartans can't take on two hunters. Like mm-hmm. crazy to think like in the book how much stronger these enemies are and how they have to, they they shoot the ground out from under them and then throw a statue on top of them. Like yeah, that. yeah. So, so basically they, they, they're like, we can't do anything. So it's switched to shredder rounds. And so Chief's like, shoot the floor. Mm-hmm. So they just start shooting the floor and the wood splintering. And then the weight of the two hunters, they crash down. Yep. And fall to the floor. And then, I don't know how big this monolith statue was, but, like, it took all three of them, like, uh, all of their might to push it. So, yeah. probably pretty heavy. Yeah. And uh, so then, at that point, mission is successful. They they save the rest of these civilians. They get off of Sigma Octanus. And then they, they detonate a nuke in the city and kill all the remaining Covenant there. And so, now, they've got the attention of Oni which we learn is kind of like the CIA or, you know, the Secret Service, not Secret Service, but this very top secret organization within the government, you know, the UNSC. And so John has to go in front of like a a board of ONI directors and explain what happened. And he kind of really doesn't know why. And they're all kind of some of them are being suspicious and some of them are on John's side about it. Yeah, it's like all the top brass. And mm-hmm. I like how they describe it like they're all in shadow. And even, yeah. even with his night vision, he's he still struggles to kind of see some of their expressions. Mm-hmm. And this is this is the the very not stereotypical, but this is kind of your hey, we're kind of just in it for the money type thing. It's it's mm-hmm. kind of like the same council that's in Mass Effect where they're just kind of in it for their own pride. I never played Mass Effect. Well, they're just in it for their own pride and, and, <laughs> and making sure that like their own interests are taken at hand. Yeah, that's even, really what Even it... as the Covenant's wiping out humanity, there's people who are still greedy and want like the top thing. So when yeah. they're, they're questioning, like, why did you blow up that city? Like, we could have learned so much more from the yeah. Covenant. And that was their biggest argument yeah. was, 
you're there to learn. Like you're there to bring us stuff to learn and you just destroyed everything that was there. Mm-hmm. And so he's having to explain that. Yeah, which I like is before he goes in, he meets Keys again, and Keys like Keys recognizes him, but John doesn't, and so Keys is just kind of just plays off like, ah, we met a long time ago, you didn't remember. Mm-hmm. But you know, interesting to see that Keys still remembers him. It's like crazy to think, and you see kind of that guilt weighing in. We find out that's one reason why Keys was taken off the assignment with Halsey is because he kind of started learning too much, which she didn't want. Which I don't think it was intentional. He just started picking things up, so she had him reassigned. And so at this point, after all of this, this is the first time we meet Cortana. You know, Halsey has to go to her office and does she has to go through like what eight or nine levels of clearance or something? Yeah, because I think this is so. This is after the the debriefing. Like uh-huh. she's she's pissed that all of these top brass like went after Keys, went after her, went after uh-huh. John, and yeah. so she's kind of trying to dig dirt up where she needs to. Mm-hmm. And so this is the first time, yeah, we get into her office and we meet Cortana, mm-hmm. which, you know, is is uh, one of the top AIs ever. And they're starting to have a conversation. You see how witty she is and how smart she is. And she knows basically everything. And so they start getting the discussion of, OK, what what Spartan, you know, you're going to get paired with a Spartan. What Spartan are you going to get paired with? And so she she makes a decision of John, which we notice that Halsey is almost like a little reluctant about mm-hmm. And, you know, but she says, hey, you let me pick. And they, they kind of say, you know, John's not the, the smartest or the strongest, but he is the luckiest. Like, he has the best record and he gets out alive and almost unscathed no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it was great. So so we meet Cortana, mm-hmm. a.k.a. A.I. Halsey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so we, we learned that, uh, you know, Halsey needed an A.I. Mm-hmm. that was a smart A.I., quote unquote, one yeah. that could learn. Because yeah. a lot of the other ones are kind of like the A.I.s we have now. The yeah. unfortunate Cortana. Well, they're, they're we called like quote dumb AIs, yeah. but that's just because they have like one direct thing they need yeah, to they have, know they have about. One thing that they do. I mean, yeah. it's, it's kind of like what we have now. So she creates Cortana um, out of a clone of her own brain, mm-hmm. um, and I think she tried it several times, and it's a very risky thing. And a uh-huh. couple of the brains died, and one yeah. lived. And so Cortana, even though not quote unquote knowing John, mm-hmm. she knows John. Yeah. And so she she says, you know, this is the Spartan I want to be paired with. And mm-hmm. So at this point, we now know that the the Spartans have a mission that they need to go capture a Covenant prophet. But in order to do so, they, they need their next step of their armor. Yeah, because they learned that. Because they talked about, all right, we have warrior classes. Mm-hmm. We have like the scientist class. Yeah, they start learning more about them. Yeah, and so they're like, there must be a leader class. And so as they kind of learn from bits mm-hmm. and pieces from various fights and communications and mm-hmm. things like that, that there is this leader class called a prophet. Uh-huh. And so they're like, we need to capture one of those and... That will hopefully help us turn the tide of this war or, if anything, allow us to establish peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're they're getting their new armor, which they they find out they have shields now that was reverse engineering from Covenant technology, which took like 25 years or 27 years of war to do that, which I think is so crazy and realistic. Like this is all we know after 27 years, which really isn't much. Yeah, because they've basically just adapted what the Jackals had. Yeah. But are not able to put it on their body. Mm-hmm. And so then Chief also, this is where he meets uh, Cortana. He learns, like, okay, you're going to be paired with an AI now. And I like when they talk about when Cortana is, like, put in his head, it's, like, this cool sensation and then, like, a quick pain. And then it's, like, it's not, like, in his ears. It's, like, she's in his mind because she's, like, neurally connected with him. Yeah, because with the improvements of the armor, they— 
basically this neural network throughout it so that mm-hmm. these AIs could be inserted and go through that. And like you said, be like, I think that they're like a two millisecond response time. Like it's mm-hmm. absolutely insane. Yeah. And so we, we learned that in order for this to work uh, and for like the, the Oni to back it and whatnot in the UNSC, uh, Chief and Cortana have to go through this test basically and to see if she actually improves him and improves his, his fighting and and knowing what's going on within a battle. So they have to go up against, uh, at first you think it's just some ODST. Like it, they get ready to start, you know, Cortana's talking to him and he takes them out. But then she's wondering like why she he didn't kill them. But, you know, because his orders were to just, quote, like, take them out, not yeah, kill them. neutralize. Even though he basically disabled them. <laughs> you, know the, you know they're not walking after that. Yeah, and, and this is where we see Chief back on the playground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, he, is, which is really cool. He recognizes, oh, shit, this is, this is home. Yeah. And then they have to go against, it's a, a helicopter, correct? Yeah, so basically it was, it was originally the test was just to test the armor reflexes and things mm-hmm. like that. But now, like, they're having missiles launched at them and mines yeah. and grenades. And... Yeah, it's, 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 and they have to ring a bell. Yeah. Like the first one. But, and, you know, to, it's a long scene of, of them working together in order to do this. And if I'm correct, he, like, slaps a missile or something. Yeah. So, so he's like, all we can do, like, let me know when the missile's going to impact and I can mm-hmm. deflect it. And she's yeah. like, why are you doing that? He's like, I can't outrun it. And I can't defend against it. This is our best shot of living through this. Yeah. And so they complete the mission. Halsey, you know, Halsey thinks they're going to die while this happens. And they, they barely make it out alive. You know, his shields uh, are almost down to E, you know, empty multiple times throughout. And he, he does make it out alive. And so after this, we kind of see that Cortana's pissed about all this. And mm-hmm. she goes into we also find out what kind of like she's a hacker. You know, she can go in and. She's she's wiring funds to brothels and yeah. So, so the guy from the, Ackerson, so from Ackerson, because Ackerson, and this goes back to the poli- the politics of it. Uh-huh. He also had a defense fund that he yeah. that he wanted funding for, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, his failed. And the Spartans, mm-hmm. which was his long shot, is succeeding. So he's like, I need to have them fail so I can get my money. Yeah, and it, it once again goes that weird human greed. Even though after these twenty seven years, you're getting slaughtered, you're still mm-hmm. like. Well, I need my money. Yeah, he 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 wants to be on top, not the Spartans, which we see they succeed. And so at this point, Cortana starts, you know, wiring monies to brothels, and that way his wife will see, and she gets him reassigned on the front line, basically. It makes yep. it seems like he, he did all these steps that can't be undone easily. Mm-hmm. This is where Cortana starts, you know, she wants to learn more about the Spartans. And, of course, she's going through all this 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 firewall that she shouldn't be able to crack, but she is, and... This is where she she horrifically learns about the Spartans, and this is where we learn how their their bodies, you know, they had flash clones replace them. So basically, they're they, all these families, these seventy five families that lost their children. They thought, or you know, that we think actually were replaced by clones that were just basically made to die anyways. Mm-hmm. This is the first time we learn about it, and she kind of doesn't she just kind of put it behind? She's like, this sucks, but I have a mission to do. Yeah, and then, and that gets back to kind of the the. AI-ness of it because mm-hmm. I think there's still a bit of that Halsey in her which is like oh these like I've actually learned of the horrors of this and like mm-hmm. what it went through and she's like but if it does help like it we sucks got, but we yeah, gotta do it we, we gotta had do, to do it. it put our heads down and just forget it happened so now we move on to the Spartans you know we're we're at reach uh, Keys gets the uh, the Pillar of Autumn yeah so after after Keys' battle and his ship's all torn mm-hmm. um, 
Well, this is also going back just a little bit with Halsey and Cortana talking about, well, we need a ship. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and they're like, well, and Cortana's like, well, we have the Pillar of Autumn. It's outdated. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's undergunned. It doesn't have great armor. It's not a great ship. And they're like, perfect, because it's so inconspicuous that they can arm it how they need to arm it and do mm-hmm. what they need to do. And so so this is where, you know, the whole arc of the story comes about because Keys gets assigned to this ship because yeah. they get to pick their captain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I like Cortana's surprise that she finds out he did the Keys loop without an AI. Yeah. She's like, oh, this guy, this guy. But yeah. And so we're, we're at Reach and the Pillar of Autumn is going to take all the Spartans on a mission. Mm-hmm. And they're going to go capture a Covenant Prophet or like, the, you know, the highest person on the the totem pole and we're gonna we're gonna make an agreement like we we need to do this like we're gonna die like halsey predicts we have months left yeah because i believe that they're getting coordinates to where there would be like a smaller covenant ship that they could take over Mm -hmm. and so they're they're going out of the system to go do this but last second they're at reach and it's 315 ships decide to show up and so then all of a sudden, it's like, well, we need to turn around. We are reassigned. We have to defend. We have to defend Reach because Reach is the military home of the mm-hmm. UNSC. This is where all the ships are made. It's where everyone's trained. So if they lose Reach, they're in trouble. Plus, it's one of the last uh, colony worlds. Yeah, it's it's because all the outer rim worlds are gone by this point, mm-hmm. and so they think that they're doing okay. Um, At least like hiding, hiding yeah. Reach and hiding Earth because those are the two big planets they need to oh, protect yeah. and and going back just one small detail too that mm-hmm. kind of gets glanced over but whenever keys had finished up his last mission with the keys loop and defending the planet uh-huh. there was a little piece what they thought was debris mm-hmm. attached itself to his ship mm-hmm. and that's the assumption that that was a tracker that he brought back oh yeah to yeah. reach yeah and that's how they were able to find out where reach as a home world was mm-hmm. and since the covenants slipstream technology is insane and they mm-hmm. can get within i think it's within a kilometer of where they need to go something crazy yeah like they they talk about how the unsc they could be close or they could be very far away but covenant just have it like yep this is where we need to be yeah so th- so this this kind of all those little events led to them being boom right on the front door uh-huh so at that point, John says, listen, we still have our mission and I think we can do it. Like, let's find let's find a ship and like the some of us can get on there. So John leads that mission while the rest of the Spartans are sent to reach because they have to protect these batteries. Right. Yes. Yeah, so, to... so the, the, there's there's orbital Mac guns. Mm-hmm. So this is where we discovered that not only are the ships equipped with it. But there was like 30 or 40 of them defending the planet, like something Uh, insane. Yeah. And so they need to go, the rest of the Spartans need to go on the surface and protect the batteries for that. Yeah, because, so this is, this is my, my, not gripe, this is my one thing with the book. Keys is the only human, apparently, Mm -hmm. that understands the Covenant fight till they die. So, Mm -hmm. so this whole battle's going on and the Covenant start to retreat again. And this is when (laughs) everyone's like, oh, we won. And Keys is like. Wait a minute. This happened like a year <laughs> yeah. ago. Let's look closer to the planet. And they put on their little binoculars like, oh, there's Covenant dropships in the North and South Pole. So that's when the Spartans have to go down and defend mm-hmm. the batteries and help defend yeah, the planet. Yeah, and it's it's John, Linda, and James. And and James uh, helped them uh, fight the hunters earlier. Mm-hmm. So he he's already like a little battle damaged. So yeah, their mission aside, uh, they still have to go on to, uh, they have to find this ship, uh, the circumference, and they have to do the cold protocol. Because it's 
it's got information on there. Like they need to take it out. Yeah, it's one ship that didn't fully blow up, but it's out of commission. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, you need to get on it because if the government discovers Earth, like we're we're kind of screwed here. But if they discover Earth, like we are, we really screwed. are really screwed. And so Linda, uh, John, Linda, and James, they all go and they crash land into the ship, and they're gonna go do the cold protocol but during the skirmish uh james thruster pack gets hit and so he just flies off into space yeah because because he gets hit with a needle so like we're uh, seeing like needles come in yeah and, like, it just pops and, and so and 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 john's freaking out just because he's like there's literally nothing he can do he's like one of the best soldiers on earth and and gravity is just kind of taking hold and like he's screwed and he thinks he has to put it in the back of his mind he's like i'll find him later because they kind of think that they're going to get through this still they're like we're gonna get through this and then we'll go find him like he's got to be alive he's just floating out there yeah he's got a suit like he's got plenty of time with oxygen and mm. like he, he, we'll find him yeah and so then throughout the skirmish uh they, they get they do the cold protocol but then linda gets hit so she she's opening the bay door uh-huh. for them to leave. Like, yeah. like mission's over. They've uh, discovered elites. This is where we first see elites in the book mm-hmm. as well. And uh, before they leave, John gets into a skirmish with one. Yeah, yeah. And he, realizes that the elites are taller than him. The strength is matched even yeah. in his suit. And he's actually worried because like they're kind of on par with him. Yeah, he's like, uh oh, this isn't a grunt or a jackal. Like this is a guy that can take me hand to hand. Yeah, so so he ends up uh, defeating him, and mm-hmm. then he gets to the ship and he starts to take off in the Pelican, so they can leave. They, they've uh-huh. done it. They're they're leaving, and so Linda's opening the bay door, and Chief's like behind you, and so she takes a plasma bolt to the back, and then uh-huh. just starts getting annihilated. Yeah, and so they they take her and they put and they put her in uh, like cryo almost, right? Because yeah. they think they can revive her. Yeah, so he's he's able to recover her, um, but she has like she's clinically dead, is what they say. Yeah, I also forgot to mention that this is where we we meet uh, uh we see some Marines on there, and two specifically that we know. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's two familiar names. If if you've played the game franchise at this point, you know who mm-hmm. they are. It's Sergeant Johnson, and it is Private Jenkins. Uh huh. And I like how, you know, Sergeant Johnson's always kind of portrayed as a badass, but then it's like Chief yelling at them like, hey, shoot like this. Don't shoot like that, you idiots. Yeah, it's it's crazy to see. Like, they're like, he's trying to tell them to focus fire and like they're freaking out because mm-hmm. they're like the last surviving ones. They were stuck in a room, I believe, that he forced the door open. Mm-hmm. And so he's so this this kind of goes back. He's helping them out. Uh-huh. Um, and then this is back to the point where we see Linda, unfortunately, because everyone uh-huh. else is on the ship. And so she yeah. stayed to open the door to run to the ship. And, uh-huh. Yeah. And then she died. And so we're, we're back on the Pillar of Autumn now and Reach is being overrun. And everyone on the Autumn is saying, you know, listen, your Spartans are dead. And Chief's like, can I go? Like, I, I need to leave. I need to get on there. And, and uh, Keys is just like, no, no, we're getting the hell out of here. Yeah, everyone on the ground, everyone on the ground is screwed. Like, yeah. like just, they're dead. Yeah, every, Reach is gone. We're screwed. Let's get the hell out of here. We got it. We're doing cold protocol, random jump. We're getting out of here. And so at that point, it's up to Cortana as the ship, the ship's AI to make the random jump. And this mm-hmm. is where things start uh, going back to Sigma Octanus. Is that it? Yeah, yeah. So, so this is this is back when we were on Sigma Octanus because this goes back to that rock. Yeah, yeah. That they discovered, and what it actually was was alien symbols they discovered in there, mm-hmm. almost like Egyptian hieroglyphics. Yeah, or you know, like anything that the Aztecs mm-hmm. had. And so Cortana's like panning through them, and she's super fascinated with them, mm-hmm. and she interprets them to be a star chart. Yeah, and so she's kind of like, huh, like this is kind of similar. And so she references it and goes, okay, this is still away from Earth. I'm gonna just gonna I'm I'm gonna make this leap. I'm gonna take this jump. Mm-hmm. And you know, she doesn't really tell anyone else. 
So at this point, and I didn't realize when they make these random jumps, it's like, what, a few weeks? And people have to go into cryo? Yeah. And so everyone goes into cryo for this jump. And so as we're, I think it's like a few hours out, Keys gets woken up again. And they're like, okay, listen, we're getting ready to be back in normal space. And at this point, Reach is gone. They've been in slip space for a few weeks. And now we're finding ourselves connecting to Combat Evolved. Mm-hmm. We get out of slip space and, you know, Key says, you know, what what am I looking at? Mm-hmm. Or even before that, he says the famous line, you know, Cortana, all I need to know is, did we lose them? And she says, I think we both know the answer to that. And that's when we realize, you know, this this data crystal that was on Sigma Octanus is actually a uh, is is a map. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a map and star chart, which we assume is to the Halo rings. Yeah, and, and that's why the Covenant wanted it so bad. And we, you know, we find out in the game that's what their whole religion is about is offing themselves, basically. Mm-hmm. And so that was it. That was the fall of Reach. Yeah, there and, you go. And this was the book that started it all. It 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 gave us a backstory to Cortana, to Keys, to Halsey, to all the Spartans, to you know why it was it, we came out of this random jump in the middle of halo ce to start it off yeah like why we had this really cool star wars sequence to start the game yeah and like oh there's a halo go do that and like yeah. like because now it really gives sense to that and for me it humanizes a lot of the characters mm-hmm. yeah we 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 do learn that chief isn't a machine he's, mm-hmm. a, he's a guy because you can assume that all up until the very end of the game when he takes off his helmet yeah and so it's all said and done. And for the most part, for the reception of this book, a lot of people liked it. It was, it was, uh, it's so again, I sold 200,000 copies. It was well received. And for the most part, there was a few people that said, uh, oh, this was kind of generic. But for me, you know, I, I like a lot of sci fi stuff. I'm not a big book guy, but a lot of stories, I think a lot of little things they did were pretty unique. Yeah. And for me, too, like sci fi. I read a bunch of different fantasy and sci-fi stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a very saturated market. A lot yeah. of people get into it. You're like, I have an idea to do this, write it, publish it, boom, hopefully someone uh-huh. buys it. And obviously this was attached with a pretty big name to it, mm-hmm. but it was great. I mean, Gene Park over from Games Critic stated that it exceeded expectations for being intelligently written and well-paced story with enough imagination to improve on the OG Halo mythos. Yeah, and... And as I said, like we, we, some parts we didn't talk about a lot of detail of. Some parts we did talk a lot of detail. But I mean, this is about what an eleven hour, eleven hour. If you were to listen to it, it's about eleven yeah, hour it's, audiobook. It's about eleven hour audiobook. And um, it's it's every second is pretty good. It's not yeah. that repetitive. They go into a lot of details that are interesting because you're learning about this this universe. Yeah, and what I love is like I I've read the original edition released in two thousand one, mm-hmm. and in two thousand ten they did an update. Uh-huh. And so then in 2011, they released the definitive edition of the novel, which fixes many of the errors introduced in 2010, which is trying to fix some of the things that were introduced missing and, and introduced in and reach. Yeah. And I know a lot of people ask, you know, we need to cover this. We will be doing a whole episode because this story about Reach, it has comic book series, it has a movie, and, you know, it has retcons that were introduced in Halo Reach. And, you know, the fact that this book has been released three different times now, we will be doing a whole episode probably after we do an episode about the game Halo Reach. We're going to do one final wrap up about everything in Reach, you know, what was retconned and whatnot. And I know, as I said, a lot of people wanted us to talk about it, but we're pretty far into the episode right now. And so we will be doing doing a whole episode about that. That way we're not doing a, a small 15 or 20 minute segment. We can do an hour and a half about talking about it. For sure. So Jesse, to kind of wrap this up with us, what is your overall opinion on the book? 
I liked it a lot, especially it's it's the first book I ever read. I didn't finish it until that you ever read. <laughs> that is impressive. The, the first uh, the first Halo <laughs> book I ever read. Uh, I started in high school and then I finished it about a year or so ago, just because I I I'm so bad with actually reading a book and finishing mm-hmm. it until you know I was like ah, I'm just gonna do an audio book. I liked it a lot. You know, we learn a lot about the characters. Uh, we, we learn a lot about Chief and everyone else in this relationship that the Spartans had. You know, throughout the book, they reference how the Spartans are in, will be in a big room, but they're all huddled together like they're a family. Yeah. What did you think about the book? I mean, it's it's it is one of my favorite books that I've read. I mean, I've I've owned my original copy of That, The Flood, and First Strike for. Uh, Which we have them in the studio. We do. We have some OGs. Some OGs. I've been for like 15 years. Yeah. And I've reread them several times. And I chose for this last time we did uh, a review for the audiobook just Uh so I could kind of have someone else read it to me, which is, uh, I guess, a different way to describe it. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. To ingest it, I guess. Yeah. And so overall, we're going to be doing little segments, quick segments on these episodes about books as well as what does this do for the lore. Yeah. And in this case, it establishes the lore. It does. There's not much to say, like, this is what changed about the lore. It established the lore. Like, this is what we have to go off of. And so in later books, like, when we do The Flood, that'll that'll be our next episode, we'll talk about, like, what little things might have changed within the lore, what it was expanded upon. Yeah, and there's there's so much out of this book that can really be dissected. Uh-huh. And just going back to what I love, I, I love... You know, even though I talk about like the clichéness of Keys' battle sequences and seeing uh-huh. like stuff, I, I think the battle sequences, the way that Nyland describes them, are done mm-hmm. so well and so vividly that mm-hmm. you can picture yourself being there and picture yeah. what the ships look like. Because sure, you have the games to visualize what the ships are, mm-hmm. but what about the various other Covenant ships you d- have you don't see? Yeah, yeah. And for him to be able to describe that and to describe these feelings they have is is really neat. Mm-hmm. And one detail, one bit of trivia that I really like. So right at the beginning of the book, when we're meeting John for the first time, uh-huh. says he's not allowed to play griffball anymore. Oh yeah, griffball was introduced. Yeah, into here. so we're introduced. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Bernie Burns, who uh, helped create Red versus Blue and Rooster Teeth, uh-huh. and Gavin Free, who's an employee of that, and he's also part of the Slow Mo guys. Like they created the the multiplayer game of it within uh-huh. the Halo franchise, now an established game type. See, I didn't know that they they had made griffball. Mm-hmm. That's crazy because that's one of the most popular game types, at least especially for Reach era. Uh, I don't, I can't remember off the top of my head if they had it in four. They have it in five, and it was a big deal when they brought it back yeah. to five. That's crazy though. So John and Rooster Teeth invented Griffball. The more you know, but yeah. So that was Halo: The Fall of Reach. Um, stay tuned because eventually we will be doing an episode all about the retcons, the comics, the additional versions of this book, everything. But. It was it was a great read. Uh, I we I had uh, listened to it once a, about a few months ago, and then once again to do this episode. Both times were interesting, and you kind of pick up little details that you might have missed along the way. Yeah, and this book is a fantastic read for the start of this trilogy that we're going to be covering mm-hmm. for you guys. And I think everyone should read this book to know the baseline. I, you should read all the books, and every book that we talk about, you should read. And I think really it'll help you with a basic understanding of this book and and the lore itself. And I definitely recommend checking out The Fall of Reach um, and continuing along as we we go through the rest of these books and kind of mm-hmm. keep 
building up with you guys, the, the, the lore and books, games, comics, every, everything, everything they've got out there. We just want to create this discussion with you guys and just, you know, mm-hmm. as we stated in other episodes, like share our passion with it, share your passion with it. So let us know what you guys think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Give us a message. Uh, our DMs are always open. We've already talked to a lot of people about future content, content we've already covered and whatnot. And uh, tune in next time because we're going to be covering the flood. Mm-hmm. Which is also a great read, and I'm excited for that. Oh, definitely. And with that, I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast.